Howdy, folks, and thanks for tuning in to this bonus episode of Rediscover the Winds, a Wyoming history podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Zach Larson. And I'm Kirsten Belisle. And we just released another bonus episode last week. Uh, so we enjoyed sharing that material so much with you that we decided to share the rest of Johanna Thompson's interview with us and on her experiences with wildfires as a civilian who has had to deal with evacuation and preparing and kind of just living with the fact that wildfires are a part of life in western Wyoming. So without any further ado, here is the interview that we did with Johanna Thompson. So we just kind of introduced the idea that you're giving a civilian's uh, viewpoint of the 2016 Lava Mountain Fire. So I didn't give a lot of background of you, so if you could tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, who you are, and where you are currently living. Okay, so I, my name is Johanna Thompson, and I grew up in Dubois, and I um, went to school here. I left for about 10 years after high school, and then I decided I really missed the area, the mountains, the wildlife, the people, so I moved back in 2006. And you are currently my boss at the Dubois Museum. I am. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. Um, so... You have lived and grown up, and you've traveled all over the American West. So, and you don't have to give us a, like a strict number, but how many wildfires do you think you have experienced or witnessed while living in Wyoming or the West? Um, I'm not sure. It's hard to say because it seems like nowadays um, you pretty much expect a fire to be in the area about every year or two. Um, so, I would say probably at least. 10 in the Dubois area. Wow. So you must have grown up with Smoky Bear campaign. You would have seen posters, I'm assuming, and advertisements and things like that. Um, how do you think that affected your mindset when it came to recreation and wildfires? Um, it definitely makes you think about making sure the campfires are out, um, thinking about things that could spark a fire and to avoid it just because of wildfires do get so intense that they wipe out an area. So do you remember um, much from the 1988 Yellowstone fires? Um, I remember some. I was about eight years old when they happened. Um, the biggest things that I remember is how dark the days were because of the smoke cloud or the column of smoke blocking out the sun. And then also the smell, I remember how I smelled all the time with the forest fire. And then also we had um, ash and pine needles falling down at home. Um, some of them, I think, were still kind of hot when they came down, which I remember thinking, how can that be? It was almost 100 miles away. Dang. So how would you describe the smell that you remember? Um, just smells like a great big, huge campfire. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was the 1988 Yellowstone fire. Um, our records, based on the Forest Service stuff, based on some stuff we have in the museum archives, says that there have been some seriously major fires um, around Dubois in the National Forest and things like that. But not a lot of them have really threatened Dubois as a community. But the 2006 Purdy fire. We hear that that was that kind of changed the game for a lot of people. So, can you tell us about your experience or the community's experience during the 2006 Purdy fire? 
Yeah, so um, I have a very special bond with the Pretty Fire. <laughs> we, when it started, we actually saw it burning for about a month before it became an issue. And it just kept growing a little bit every day and moving a little closer towards our home. Um, my wedding was actually on a Saturday, August 19th. And the Monday before our wedding, the Forest Service came to visit us first thing in the morning and told us um, they brought a bunch of maps to and laid them out on a table, showed us what it burned and where it was going. And I think it burned about three and a half miles that night. And we were within three miles of the fire at that point. And they told us to start packing our things and thinking about leaving because we would have to leave in a moment's notice because it was burning straight for us. Um, my mom freaked out. <laughs> She's like, no way, we have a wedding here this weekend. We can't, we can't leave. We have a wedding. You tell that fire and to they're like, well, plans. Yeah, exactly. They're like, well, sorry, the fire's coming. So you better think of a back, backup plan, you know, for the wedding. So that's what we had a backup plan in town. And so at that point, we kind of divided forces and my mom took over planning for the wedding and dealing with food. She's like, either way, we have people coming, so we got to have food for these people to eat. We have to we have to do a wedding no matter what. I was heading up the evacuation group. It was like, I don't care where the wedding is. It can be anywhere. I'm saving my stuff. Mm-hmm. So anyways, we kind of divided forces. And um, the Friday evening before the wedding, the Forest Service came and told us that they think that you know, everything's going to be fine. Go ahead with the wedding. So we did. Um, that morning, the four service crews were at the place um, setting up structure protection around all of the houses. And then, uh, so I actually have a picture with my hair all nicely done and ready to go to the wedding with the firefighters. <laughs> and then, um, then we, so we proceeded with the wedding. Everything was beautiful. And then about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, um, the fire kicked up and we started getting hot embers falling down and uh, we had a big old canopy tent set up and so needless to say we tore that down in a hurry so that it didn't burn and um, the party kind of ended quickly but that's okay so that gave us time to clean up and then uh, we actually had Tim Hayes cooked a pig for us he smoked a pig in a smoker mm-hmm. up at the house and um, so we cleaned that up and that night a grizzly bear came through and um, tried to get the pig, and he never got in the smoker, but it's all scratched and still has the scratches today. So we laugh about how the grizzly bear wanted the pig. And then, um, so after everything was said and done and people left, we had a whole bunch of pig left over and cake left over because the party just kind of fizzled. Mm-hmm. So we fed the firefighters lunch for about a week. Well, that is a good And a pig, we started moving on to hot dogs and hamburgers and whatever else. And so it was kind of funny because our place ended up being the like the meeting point for the fire crews during the day. Mm-hmm. But um, it was so nice. And the fire did actually end up getting, I think, within about a mile of the ranch by the time that it stopped and snow just put it out. Well, that was very convenient. And I'm sure yeah. lots of firefighters were happy to get a good meal. Your mom is an excellent cook. Yes, they were. So you mentioned that the firefighters were doing st- uh, things to protect the structures of your ranch. Do you remember much, many details about what they were doing and how they went about that? Um, they set up, so we have a little pond that's beside our house. And so they set up a pump in there and sprinkler systems 
to sprinkler around the um, buildings, mm-hmm. the main buildings. The house that I lived in was too close to the trees for that to be effective. So they were planning on spraying it with foam. And then there's also um, a barn that we have that they were going to spray the foam to when it got close. And then they were going to leave. The firefighters would leave at that point because they can't stay there either. Mm-hmm. Um, but luckily, I never came to that at that point. Well, that is very lucky. So how do fires or the threat of potential fires affect your life on the ranch? I know you said that you had been watching the Purdy fire for about a month before it really became your direct problem. But how do the threat of potential fires affect your life on your ranch? Well, I think at this point, after the Purdy fire came and went, um, I think it was a big eye opener for us as well as the whole community. Of we are not prepared for a wildfire. Um, it's going to happen. It's only a matter of time before it's going to happen, given the health of our forest. And so we decided at that point we we got to get something done and take control of our unhealthy forest. So have you been involved with fuel reduction projects then? Yes, we have. So we... Um, Basically, what we did was, at that point, we joke around about how we moved into the wood age at the Timberline Ranch. <laughs> we no longer, it wasn't the stone age, it was the wood age. <laughs> and so every spare minute we spent um, skidding out dead trees, cleaning up the undergrowth on the forest floor. Um, basically, anything that was dead or not healthy was removed. Um, and with that, we also participated with the FireWise program. Um, which helps reimburse you for time, expenses, stuff like that when you're cleaning up your area. Um, we noticed after a couple years in that our problem was more than we can handle with four-wheelers or ATVs and trucks. So we ended up purchasing a skitter to actually do real lumber work. And so we skidded out trees with that. Um, and I think without the FireWise program, because you, we did, I think, four or five different blocks that we had to finish out and then move on to the next block. And I think if we wouldn't have that planning and those deadlines, we probably would have never finished it. Um, and so we did get it done before we needed it. And so that made it really that made our place really defendable when we needed it later. So you're saying that it was it was effective um, and came in handy when you needed it. So did it come in handy during the 2016 Lava Mountain Fire? Yeah, so um, between the work that we did and the work that the Forest Service had done from um, over at the Forest Boundary, so from the Forest Boundary west to about Lava Mountain, um, all of that thinning, that the Forest Service did also made it possible to save the places when the Lava Mountain Fire started. Um, I don't know. Anything else that you want to know? Yeah. So you actually have a significant role in the Lava Mountain Fire um, events. So if you wanted to tell us about your experiences with that, that would be excellent. Okay. So I was actually driving home from work at the museum one evening. And um, I saw a tiny puff of smoke on like the southeast side of Lava Mountain. And I thought, what is that? And so I sat there a minute and watched, and I thought, there's a road there. 
thinking that maybe it was dust from a vehicle driving down a dirt road. I thought, no, that can't be. So I took a picture of it because I thought no one would follow up on it or believe me because it was such a little sporadic thing. So I continued home, called 911 and reported it. Then I went out to the highway and I met with Mike Frankini and I think AJ Albright at our highway driveway. And I showed them the pictures and then we waited a few minutes and then it puffed up. And so they headed out to find it. Um, The Forest Service fire crews spent the next week, I think it was roughly a week, trying to find the fire. It would puff up every day, but they couldn't physically find it through all of the thick debris and everything else. So meanwhile, though, the foliage on the ground was getting drier because we were into the hot summer days by then. And on the afternoon of Museum Day, it actually um, decided to take off and go and turn into a fire. And it didn't stop until it arrived at the Union Pass subdivision. Um, So the fire that we feared would happen was happening at this point. Um, There's nothing like watching the fire come to you and you can do nothing to stop it. and this was actually the third time that we were pending evacuation. And so by the time that this happened, we were just done. All of us were over it. Let's just get this over with. So we we packed up some things, but not very much, really. And um, ended up evacuating and staying in a small camper for about three weeks. Um, we were very tired of the confined space, though. And uh, we couldn't... we. Probably could have gone back a little bit earlier, but we couldn't because the air was so bad at night that you just couldn't breathe. It would suffocate you. During the day, it was beautiful, but at night, it was horrible. That's understandable. So what did you decide to pack up? I mean, facing a wall of fire coming to your property where your family's lived for decades, like what do you choose to bring? (laughs) Me being a Wyoming girl, the first thing to go was, firearms, (laughs) guns, got to get the guns out, (laughs) and then um, after the guns was like family things, you know, family pictures, papers, documents, stuff like that that you couldn't replace, Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, you know, we just took clothes that we needed for a little while, we actually ended up going back in later to go back and get more clothes, because we're like, okay, everything's fine-ish, you know, and we're out of clothes, so probably should have taken more clothes. Um, but we left, like, just stuff behind. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. What did you do with your animals? I know you had animals on the ranch. Yeah, so we, um, actually, our horses were the first things that we hauled out as soon as we saw after the museum day episode. Um, we're like, okay, there's no, this thing is not stopping. So we ended up hauling those out. Um, they actually went to the boxing three for a little while, and then they went out to Kay and Jerry Weber's place. Kay um, works at the museum, too, and so they went out there. I think they were gone probably a month, month and a half from the ranch. Um, and then we had our dogs with us and our cat. I, I think our cat must have gone to Carolyn Copeland's, I think, for this time being i don't remember exactly she didn't stay home though all righty we so, did 
I was just going to say ahead. that clearly there was a lot of community involvement and community support just, and this is just your family story. I'm sure there were other family stories to be known and um, shared eventually, but just all the different people that you're naming that gave your animal shelter that I know probably helped Elsie, your daughter was probably really young at that time. So that was probably a little added chaos to the already chaotic environment. Um, yeah, she, um, she had not left us in during the first week. I think she ended up down in Riverton with one of my friends who had never even seen her before. Took her in for the week. <laughs> so, yeah. how did the Lava Mountain Fire affect travel? Um, so, I've thought about that a lot. And I think when these, I don't think it matters, like, if it's just a Lava Mountain Fire or any fire, once it gets to that stage, there's, like, a, a Type 1 crew that's in here dealing with it. Um, there's increased traffic, but you don't really notice it except for morning and evening when the crews are going out and coming back in. Um, I think because everybody's just working, you know, they're all gone, they're all out, they're all working. Um, probably the biggest thing that I notice is the cell service. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we all know that cell service is pretty crappy in Dubois anyway. And when you add a thousand people into town working on a fire, we're all trying to use those same cell towers. <laughs> and it's really hard to get a text out, let alone a cell phone call. And heaven forbid you, there was no time for Facebook because you couldn't get on the Internet wow. to even look at anything. Oh, boy. Yeah. That would definitely create an interesting effect on people's lives. Um, did tourism stay the same or did tourism drop off in Dubois? I think initially it was the same. Um, once the fire headed towards Union Pass, I think at that point it hit national news. And so I think some people did actually change their vacation plans because they had heard about this fire that was threatening however many homes. I think there was like 300 homes or something threatened. And so I think some people did actually change their vacation plans because of it. Okay. So where did the firefighters station themselves? Where was their base? I know you said your ranch was kind of where they met up um, in the day, but they had yeah. to go back somewhere. Yeah. So they had um, daily debriefing meetings in the mornings that happened out at our ranch. But they, um, for the most part, they had... A small crew that stayed up at Teton Valley Ranch Camp, and they just stayed up there um, to try and protect that ranch, it, just because there's a long drive in and out, so mm -hmm. it's easier for them to just set up camp there and stay there. But the bulk of the people um, stayed kind of out by where Pete's Pond is now. So just east of town. Just, yeah, and they just set up a little tent. I think each firefighter has their own tent. And then they have some trucks that travel along with them with, like, showers and serve them meals and food and that kind of thing. So they just kind of set up their own little village in a spot. Okay. And the, the Lava Mountain Fire was kind of a spectacle because I know I've definitely seen T-shirts with the 2016 Lava Mountain Fire logos and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. So they do. So once these fires get big, there's um, literally trailers that sell t-shirts that have like the date on it the name of the fire and then a little design on the front and the back we had two of those here in town that were in different places and it kind of reminded me of on ice age there was the little um 
the vultures that were like the doom and the gloom, you know, pack your stuff. It totally reminded me of them <laughs> going around to all of these, you know, forest fires are traumatic, but I guess everybody wants their souvenir t-shirts. <laughs> I guess. You got to merch that. Got to make that <laughs> yeah. cash money. Um, so yeah. how did your experience with the lava mountain fire differ from the other wildfires in the area? Was there a difference? Was it just part of life or um no for for us and the people i imagine everybody feels like this that was evacuated and was part of this fire um it was different from the others that we've had because it it literally burned right up to some houses um and for us it burned our back fence there was actually slurry dropped out of airplane i think they did three drops at our house to try to save it um, there was helicopters that were dumping water all day trying to save our place too. And so I guess the difference was that this one was the one that would have burned us up. Mm. Um, whereas the other ones had been close, you know, and they kind of came that way, but they got stopped a little ways away. Um, and there's been other fires like at Porsche Creek that have been close to T-Cross and some other places, you know, and so just depending on where the fire is, I guess, is how it's going to affect you. But um, certainly the closer it is, the more scary it is. Yeah, and I can only imagine. I've just seen the smoke columns from afar over the mountains, so I can't imagine what that really is like living through evacuating your home and not knowing what you were coming back from. But, well, thank you very much, Johanna. We really appreciate you agreeing to come on our podcast and doing an interview with us, and thank you very much for sharing your stories. Sounds good. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So we'll talk to you later and maybe have you on a future episode. So thanks, guys, for listening to that interview. We really enjoyed doing it with Johanna, and we look forward to having future guests on our episodes. And if we end up talking more than we really should, we'll share the future material with you guys just like we did here. So So with that, we uh, thank you for tuning in, and we look forward to continuing to rediscover the wins with you next time.